You've no doubt heard about the millions of Syrians who've been forced from their homes by years of sustained war that has left families decimated and once proud communities reduced to rubble. They live today in what little safety they can find, over the border in refugee camps that are more like cities, only with little in the way of hope and possibility. While millions sit and wait year after year in the camps, many have reached a breaking point and set out in search of real life, where education, careers, shelter that comes with peace and security are possible once again. They're heading for Germany, Austria, Sweden, the Netherlands, maybe Norway, the names they have heard and learned from the experience of others. They're making a long and dangerous journey by sea, sometimes by rail, with help from people who come and get them by car and bus. Most often, they walk, or in the rare case, like up in Norway, they bike over the border towards what they hope will be a new life filled with possibilities. They've been joined along the way by other kinds of displaced people, themselves escaping violence, war, dictatorship, persecution, desperation in its various forms from different corners of this planet. They're referred to as refugees, though as one recent arrival in Berlin told the audience at a hackathon, I'd rather be called a newcomer. The number one tool of the newcomer, the mobile phone. The number one demand throughout the journey, power to charge them, Wi-Fi to transmit messages to concerned loved ones, for checking the map, for other routes that might offer safer passage, and possibly to communicate with those that might be waiting for them once they get to their destinations. But the phone and the internet alone are not enough. To manage to get through the hardship of getting from Syria or Libya or Iraq or Afghanistan to the areas of Europe that welcome them, the barriers are still many. The beast of bureaucracy that would drive even the most fluent German speaker mad, the landlord who won't rent to refugees, the prestigious university that doesn't recognize credits from some of Syria's finest institutions. What can be done to overcome such barriers? Who is stepping up to help and how are they doing it? Today on the podcast, we talk about tools for refugees, or as I'll refer to them from now on on this program, newcomers recent arrivals, those who are trying to start a life in a new place. What tools are they using? Who is developing these tools, specifically in the Berlin area, where hundreds, if not thousands of volunteers are busy in so many ways helping people arrive and get settled? They, like many of us, are learning as they go. And today we're going to hear about what they've learned, what they're creating, and how it is making a difference in this unprecedented moment in history. For Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and this is Source Code Berlin. Before we get to our guests, Katharina Dermul of Migration Hub Berlin, Marcus Neuschaffer of the Open Knowledge Foundation, and Yolanda Schmidtke of Home for Refugees, Let's first hear from someone who went through the ordeal just ahead of this current wave. I met him at a recent multi-day gathering known as the Refugee Hackathon and asked him to share some of his story with us. Hi, I'm Khaled. Uh, uh, I have 23 years old. I came from Syria and now I live in Berlin. Uh, for about uh, three years. I'm studying uh, computer engineering at uh, Boeth University of Applied Science. 
I came uh, to, to Germany because of the, of, the, of the war in Syria. I was uh, studying uh, architecture in Syria, but I couldn't continue my study because uh, of the situation there. Yeah, the, the army came to our university in Syria, and uh, the, situ the situation was so dangerous to, to continue the study. That's why I, I came here to uh, to Germany because uh, at first I was refugee for for one year. Then I learned uh, the the uh, German language, yeah. And now, uh, from about uh, five months, I started at the university, and now in in the second semester. It was a big ch uh, change uh, because the lifestyle in Syria uh, is another than the lifestyle here in Germany. That's uh, the one uh, from from one side. The another, uh, the second point is uh, uh, that I don't have anyone here in Germany, so I don't know anyone can help me here. That uh, that was a big problem for me. We was in uh, in like. Uh, a camp for refugees for for some days for about uh, a month the, the, uh, the asylum proceed uh, was uh, faster uh, than, than now yeah, for, faster. yeah because uh, in the city where i where i was i was the, the first syrian or yeah i got my uh, my residence permit then i uh, then i uh, i rent apartment with with my family with my family uh, we had uh, 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 again, problems with uh, uh, renting apartment in Germany because uh, uh, the companies of the apartments want uh, someone with a good salary and uh, yeah. So we came from Syria. We had some money from our uh, money. We we rented. Uh, 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 we t we take apartment, uh, private apartment, uh, and we we searched about. Uh, Stable apartment. It's after eight months from from the searching. Considering the energy and effort my new friend Khaled has spent over the past two years learning German, I felt bad making him explain his arrival in English. But he carried himself from the very first moment we met with a friendly willingness to try. His presence at the hackathon was inspired by, as he explained it, a desire to do something to help people who were now going through what he had gone through not long ago, back when things were hard, but not as difficult as they are now, due to the sheer number of people who are arriving at once. It is difficult for me because uh, another language, uh, yeah, uh, my study in Syria was in, Ar in Arabic and here in, in German. And I learned Ger I, I'm learning German from about two years. So uh, at the first time when I was at the, the university, <laughs> it was uh, really a big problem. Uh, everyone sp speaking with German and my, my brain uh, must uh, <laughs> translate to, to, Ara to, to English, then to Arabic. Yes. Yeah, I want to do some something help, help, uh, helpful here in Germany, and uh, as uh, as I was a refugee, yeah, uh, it is interested for for me to help the the other people to uh, to continue their their study and uh, maybe to help them to find uh, find apartment without uh, difficulties yeah for, for me and uh, from the people who, uh, who were 
were fa fast to get to the university. It was also a long time for me. I, I left my, my study in 2012 and I continued to, to study in 2015. Yeah, so three years without studying, it was like a nightmare for, for, for me. I, I know that here now in Berlin, there is another project that uh, uh, a university for, for refugees and it is... Uh, so helpful and yeah. yeah Khaled told me of dentists arriving in Germany who were struggling to get their credentials approved so they could continue to do their work professionals and others close to finishing their degrees sitting around in holding camps not allowed to work or even leave town and travel freely within Germany he spoke about the hours and days of his own life that were spent waiting on bureaucracy I asked him if he could point to the number one immediate issue that needs resolving what would it be and he answered with no hesitation. Uh, to help refugees to uh, to find apartment or find a home, it is a very good and use useful idea because now maybe like the, the refugees in, in Berlin, uh, a huge number of them sleeping on the streets yeah, because uh, uh, they are waiting to someone to make reg registration for, for them. yeah. And on the other side, the, the German people or the people who live in Berlin, uh, they want to, to help. They don't, ha they don't know uh, how. When, when there is a, uh, a project that makes contact with these uh, two sides, yeah, people who, who live in Berlin and the, the refugees, it will be easier to, to help the, the, these people, the winter is coming. Uh, it will be so hard um, yes. yeah, with the, refu the refugees. Winter is coming, a phrase that for years has been reserved for a hit television show about a fantasy world, used here in a very real way to remind us of an imminent danger as winter threatens the health and well-being of so many newcomers in and around Germany. We turn now to the role of tools for those who arrive each day, not only in Germany, but on the shores of Greece, on the borders of Macedonia, Serbia, Hungary, Croatia, Slovenia, so many more, borders that are not all that welcoming, where communication and location matter, where each day volunteers are doing what they can to make the journey possible and less painful. Behind the scenes, helping volunteers to organize their activities and newcomers manage their safe arrival, there is a massive network. One branch of that network is based in Berlin, and one of the shining beacons of goodwill and determination is the migration hub Berlin and the ever-busy Katharina Dermühl. I'm Katharina. I'm one of the co-founders of the migration hub. And I'm also one of the co-founders of Chiron Ventures. I'm one of the initiators of First Contact. And I'm one of the co-founders of the Exponential Network. All of them link that they uh, are somehow working on social challenges and um, finding investment for solving these challenges. 
and creating an uh, ecosystem where people who are working on migration initiatives can actually um, build social ventures out of it. That's kind of uh, what we do. And um, the Migration Hub is a co-working space for people who work on any kind of migration-related initiatives. It's an open space. Everyone can come in and just work here. And if such an initiative would like to grow into a social business, they can apply for our Chiron Ventures program, which is an incubator program for migration-related topics, but also for refugees who want to become entrepreneurs. It's connected to the Chiron University, the first digital university for migrants, where they can study online for free. And the Exponential Network is a impact investment network, which does not only focus on migration, but on any kind of impact and social related um, ventures. It started um, actually in August when my now partner in all the initiatives that I just uh, mentioned, Paula, asked me to join her and a bunch of other people from Berlin, from Greece, from um, the Netherlands and from South Africa and all what we have in common is we are entrepreneurs, investors, techies, um, to join us on Samos, um, so one of the Greek islands where a lot of refugees actually um, first step um, on, onto, onto Europe. And uh, she asked us to join us there to see if we can come up with any kind of digital or technical um, solutions to somehow support and help the refugees and ease their situation. So that was in the beginning of August. And... This kind of changed, did it change my life? Maybe, but it definitely changed my um, career. Um, so we started working on our initiative, which is First Contact, which provides in the essential information for refugees at every arrival spot in Europe. We are scaling that up all over Europe now. That's how we started. Then um, two weeks after we came back, we realized people need a space where they can meet and work on their initiatives. This is when we opened the migration hub, which uh, seems like we had the right idea because um, it's just people coming and coming here. There's like an event happening every night. We are uh, scaling it up all over Europe now. There might be a migration hub opening in Jordan, in Satari, in the um, big refugee camp soon. we we'll see how um, if that happens anytime soon, but we're working on it. And um, so I'm like, in, it's, a, it's a new thing for me too, but um, it gives a lot of meaning. And therefore I decided to quit my other job at a German um, or Berlin um, company builder and focus on impact and social ventures. And because for the time being, the phenomena of mass migration is such a pressing issue. We are doing a lot in the field of migration. The mobile phone. Somewhere, usually not far from the first sentences describing what's going on with people arriving on the continent of Europe, there is at least some mention of smartphones. Once considered a luxury, now very much an essential tool that can help you through the journey. So, I mean, I was on the ground in Greece and I uh, realized, um, or we realized pretty quickly that after um, people were provided with food and water, the first thing they're asking for is connectivity and charging the battery of their smartphones. And I remember still in August, there were a lot of 
articles, um, people wondering why people arrive here with a smartphone, an iPhone or whatever. Like these people are like refugees are supposed to be poor. That's kind of a picture that a lot of people have. But um, especially people coming from Syria, there are it's a middle class country. Therefore, of course, people have smartphones and it's their most important tool for the uh, for their um, journey through Europe because it provides them with the possibility to connect to the to their loved ones back home. It provides them with the possibility to find out about routes, to communicate, to ask for help. Therefore, the smartphone is the most essential tool, and that's the reason why, like. I would say every initiative here that does something digital is always mobile first. Mobile first is the priority when it comes to developing tools. And all over Europe and the world, it seems, people have been busy since the summer coding, writing, testing, an array of tools focused on things like communication, translation, transportation, housing, education. At first, it's exciting and impressive to see so many people committed to working on this issue. But the fact that many people are making tools is not necessarily a good thing, as Katarina explains. A lot of people are developing great apps or tools or whatever for refugees, both when they arrive at their final destination, which, uh, which could be Germany or Sweden or wherever. But a lot of tools are also developed for um, supporting the refugees on their way through Europe sometimes forgetting that people quite often don't have access to internet on their journey. And this is something, the, the sensibility for this topic, the sensibility that you have to build very light websites is something that we try to, um, um, yeah, to inform people about when, once they want to start doing something. So another layer of what we do with the migration hubs is to actually also do research and to foster the idea of human-centered and user-centered design methods. You should not develop an app for a refugee without involving the, re the refugee in the developing process. And um, that's what we do and that's what we try to foster. And um, at the same time, though it's not our, um, our core um, skill or whatever, we try to reach out to um, telecommunication providers or to uh, big internet companies such as Google or Facebook to to sensualize them that actually people need connectivity um, on their whole uh, trip through Europe and um, but we I mean for by now uh, especially Facebook and Google are working on a lot of things but um, also the fact that in a lot of refugee homes and shelters um, here in uh, in Germany there's no internet <laughs> is a is a major problem and therefore um, when thinking about building an app for a refugee, you also you always have to think about the ecosystem in which this app should potentially work at some point, and if he is actually able to to use this application, and that's kind of something uh, like the we who run the migration have also tried to enable to build this ecosystem. What I would love to see is actually instead of um, everyone getting like uh, active without doing proper research what's already out there and if it might be a bit more um, effective to build on something that's already out there or to support someone who actually built something for quite a while instead of creating something new over and over again. And that's one of the reasons why we started the Migration Hub because what we saw is there are so many people working on the same things as, I mean, not I mean not only talking about Berlin but actually then talking about 
Germany-wide, but also Europe-wide. And um, so the reason we are like opening spaces all over Europe is actually to create this network of sharing information, sharing knowledge, and also sharing code. Because there's so much energy being wasted, people coding the same thing over and over again. What's missing at the moment are these meta-platforms. Because like what I realized when I was talking to refugees at the camps or like to, to friends of mine is quite often they don't even know about all these great apps out there. So I'm, you know, I'm super happy that um, we get media attention, that all these initiatives get media attention. But when you ask which apps are actually used by the refugees, unfortunately, um, not so many. I mean, for one reason, because of connectivity. But the second thing is because they don't know about it. And um, so this is something we are trying, like what the concept also behind the Migration Hub is to create awareness and to create synergies and to create this network so that we can actually build on the ideas of others and create more impact instead of everyone um, building like a single solution. Some hope, but also harsh truths in a discussion that is so often limited to an argument over those who want to do something and those who don't want to do anything. Katarina Dermul is telling us, action alone without coordination and focus can and has been at times a waste. By now we know the traditional institutions, despite statements by governments saying newcomers are welcome, they seem to not be equipped to handle what is happening or resistant to the reforms needed to make this process work efficiently. Enter the volunteers who are busy with everything you can imagine to address the aforementioned needs, including getting people accepted into universities as students, carrying on the studies that in many cases they had started back home. There is a process you have to um, show that you're a refugee, um, which is um, pretty simple because you, um, um, once you're like in a camp or whatever, you will be registered in any kind of way and we accept these documents. So, um, yeah, so we have a team of people checking that. And just maybe to shout out some numbers, the first bunch of students actually started on the 16th of uh, October. So it's the first 1,500 students who started. We had 15,000 applications without doing any marketing because we only started, or in this case, they started because I'd only recently joined, um, working on the concept last December. So the first students started now. And... As it's a digital model, uh, it's very scalable. Therefore, potentially hundreds of thousands or actually millions of people could study with us. But once again, it's a question of money and um, a question of how many partner universities in the world do we find who will accept our students. We, we can see that a lot of institutions, both gov governmental but also yeah, uh, universities have a hard time like understanding the concept and um, actually um, in the old structures they have integrating it so what needs to change but what I believe is changing because it just it just so much pressure on the systems is to um, yeah to to get like the whole bureaucracy and the whole procedures that we have which are still so, so not um, they get like a big push into a more modern um, direction that things become easier, that things become digitized. And I think that's something like uh, two years ago, nobody would have thought that a, like something like a current university could actually exist. But now because the, the 
the need and the urge is so big, um, things are actually happening. And um, what I what I see and what I hope for, and that's like a positive picture um, um, of the future, is that we finally find a way to um, to become more of a um, uh, that we can become more world citizens, just because so many people are coming here and showing us like different aspects of this world and um, I just hope that this whole idea about um, pluralistic societies actually becomes true and um, I see when I talk to a lot of refugees I just see that that wish to actually integrate and to um, to enrich our societies and I, I'm so I'm so happy and um, thankful that I have friends in Afghanistan now because they enrich my life so much and I also enrich their life and that's um i think that's a very um positive aspect of um, this very sad phenomena of mass migration a long overdue change becoming more global citizens with more digitized systems in education among other services that was katharina dermil of the migration hub berlin as we turn now to language and communication since the crisis erupted within europe at the end of the summer of 2015 one of the first areas people have been busy building tools for has been translation. And one of the most comprehensive examples among them is the Refugee Phrasebook, an open collection of useful words and phrases for newcomers, an ever-growing initiative where there are many languages, many dialects within those languages, different borders, different scenarios where one could need specific phrases to get what is necessary. I'm Markus Neuschäfer and I'm working at the Open Knowledge Foundation Germany with a focus on open science and open culture. Currently, the Refugee Phrasebook uh, consists of two different projects. Um, the first one is actually a set of uh, uh, Google Doc sheets with translations uh, to help refugees for orientation. So um, words like uh, I need this medication or where's my child or um, uh, my name is this or I don't know even for helpers, can I help you, uh, are translated in up to 30 languages at the moment. Uh, these lists are growing and we currently have like uh, five uh, Google Doc sheets which are maintained by different um, document owners or um, yeah, data donators, so to speak. Um, the project that the part of the project that I'm involved in is uh, the website, uh, the activities around the website, refugeephrasebook.de, where we um, showcase these uh, translations and uh, also um, helps people print it and uh, yeah, create a community where they actually um, there's some exchange about which phrases they need and uh, also how many phrasebooks they need, which languages they need, so that uh, booklets can be created, apps can be created and uh, reach the um, the refugees who need it most. As it started uh, in, in Google Doc tables, it was very easy to export them as HTML and CSV and so on. And then um, the um, further development of what we could offer was actually driven by demand. And the demand first came from refugee um, yeah, help groups from um, Hungary and from Greece and other countries which are on the route of this uh, big refugee movement which is happening at the moment. And uh, they need uh, booklets or something to print in order to hand it to um, to give it to refugees. There were also some like a lot of requests from um, Germany also for these these booklets and apps. 
Um, but here in Germany, there are also other offers like um, uh, full-blown language classes. And uh, so um, here the demand is different. In Germany, people need it more like for the, to um, get by in the first week or to uh, communicate at the uh, Berlin Lagiso where they have to register and so on or when they just just arrive for the first days um, but then once they settle they um, the idea is that then they find other language resources we also provide some some links on the website uh, for this um, and the other this the main use case at the moment for the printed versions is people who pass by at um, the hungarian border for example or at, in, in greece in, in Kos and so on these islands and um, they Uh, they very they really appreciate these booklets as something um, when they they don't have reliable internet access there or they don't have a smartphone and uh, this way they have something um, that accompanies them on this further journey through Europe. A tool to accompany you throughout the journey. It's about languages being understood and again via the internet on a smartphone and as it develops further with some comprehensive content that is not only for newcomers but also an important tool for volunteers and helpers. Um, we're talking about, at the moment, it's um, on average uh, 30 languages um, in each of these uh, translated tables. Um, there is, for example, the short version of for general orientation. And at the moment, it has, I think, slightly more than 30 languages in it. Um, There are also being new versions uh, currently being added. So, for example, I don't know, some African languages or um, also like a phonetic version of some, uh, for example, of Arabic or so, different dialects, um, languages like Pashto, Uru and so on. And it's it's uh, all um, being um, organized in this kind of Google, humble Google Doc Sheets. Um, um, basically, people, um, there are some translators and they uh, are in contact with the document owners and they assign them a column that where they can freely edit in. Um, also, people from outside can comment in every cell uh, if they have, um, if they see something uh, is to be corrected or so. The phrases for helpers has just, uh, we're just redesigning, reorganizing them and added new phrases. Um, Last Saturday, I was meeting up with some helpers from Moabit Hilf. So they're involved in um, supporting refugees around this uh, registration, um, obligatory registration place in Berlin, the Lageso. And um, then I learned that the real needs in the field is actually much different, uh, in, in some aspects is different from what we imagined. So the, for example, the sheet phrases for helpers that we have at the moment is very positive, very welcoming, and hey, we can help you, and uh, do you need anything, and so on. Um, at the um, from the helpers at Lageso, we then learned that what they also need are phrases to tell people that something is not available. This is actually something that is really, um, yeah, very brings the helpers in a difficult situation because they really want to help and they are confronted with um, uh, very limited resources. So it's um, they need donations, they need food to hand out, it's getting cold, they need winter clothes, and they don't have enough for, for everyone. So they need to make priorities. And if you imagine someone is just, uh, I don't know, 22 or 23, and they just think they help for an afternoon and suddenly they are in charge of a glider where they hand out uh, clothing and um, 
50 people come in and they all need some clothing, but there's only enough for, I don't know, 15 of them. They need some words like, for example, um, please stand back or uh, sorry, there's nothing left today or uh, you already had something yesterday or please come back tomorrow or something like that. The, the border situation in the Balkans at the moment is quite unpredictable. So um, sometimes Hungary is, for example, opening the border or closing the border and all these uh, travel routes uh, change all the time. So um, some refugees actually might uh, cross over to Greece, to, to Kos, to an island, might then be um, yeah, transported further to Macedonia or to Slovenia or to a different route. So um, this is why we actually provide different versions for different regions. And uh, this is quite hard to, um, quite a challenge to employ in a print version because um, there are some layout constraints. You can't put 30 languages in a row and still have a readable document. So what, what we actually do is um, creating different versions um, based on different uh, targeted to different regions and so for the Macedonian region there's I don't know Macedonian uh, column then there's the Slovenian region or the, the I don't know Korean uh, version um, and uh, this way volunteers can hand these out in the regions themselves and the people have something with the uh, languages that might be re relevant there um, they also add some custom information for example um, in um, Hungary, uh, Hungary or I think Slovenia, they, they added some information regarding landmines. Apparently, there are still landmines lying around there. So I got a, um, quite an urgent call uh, very, very late in the evening uh, to um, add a section about uh, landmines. And within three hours, we had it translated because luckily there were still, uh, the translators were still online and they um, agreed to yeah, to help. So, and then it was, I think, one in the morning or two in the morning when we had this section about the uh, landmines finished. That was um, just a very urgent thing. But now in this uh, version, I think it's for Slovenia, there's a little disclaimer there um, uh, depicting, a, like, the, with an image of a typical warning sign about uh, about um, uh, about landmines and um, some phrases specifically how to ask uh, people in the area if there are any landmines. And this is just um, important if some refugees try to cross the border, for example, just in the forest or outside the official checkpoints, then uh, it might be a good idea to check for landmines first. It is an incredibly complex, sensitive, demanding task to undertake, providing not just translation, but so many custom versions and options for such a diverse group of people. Not to mention the urgency of having things like warnings about landmines in multiple languages. Not something that came to mind in the beginning of this crisis. We've heard today about the complications, the limitations of both institutions and volunteer efforts. The refugee phrasebook itself is also a work in progress, where sometimes you have to find a way around obstacles. Currently, uh, Wikibooks is our best option to automatically, or let's say at least quickly, produce a print version with custom um, uh, with custom content. Um, because um, in this, as we find found out the hard way, um, Office, um, no matter of, of Microsoft Office or Open Office, InDesign, um, so on, they really um, uh, have 
big difficulties with um, non-Western languages. Uh, very often the Arabic especially gets uh, disfigured or changed and it still looks a bit like Arabic, but it's not readable at once to a native speaker. And um, because of the tendency of these current design software to uh, destroy Arabic, uh, we found that um, automatically converting these um, tables to um, uh, to MediaWiki uh, compliant tables, um, we could actually work around some of these these limitations. Um, at the moment, there are already some designers have actually made like a very beautiful and and designed version, but they they need like a week for this or something. So, it's uh, to quickly create a version. Uh, WikiBooks is still the best that we have uh, at the moment. The um, we have we have a bank account with the Open Knowledge Foundation that they do you know the accounting, so we don't have to to deal with it. And uh, on this um, bank account. We collect uh, donations for to support print versions, especially um, in other countries like in Greece and the Balkans and so on. Very often these volunteers there don't have uh, the means to uh, print a big batch by themselves. So we um, collect some donations to support them with um, printing costs if they need it. Um, at the end of the year, everything that will not be um, spent on printing cost will be donated to Doctors Without Borders. Uh, this way, we um, don't have any problems with accounting and, and overhead. So we basically just spend everything for refugee help projects that we gather on this um, account. Um, as for for time, like uh, with all like with all the other volunteer projects, this is just um, something that we do in our uh, in the time formerly known as our free time <laughs> and uh, this is um, very rewarding and uh, thankfully during the last weeks um, the team has grown so there are much more people who feel responsible for creating wikibooks versions for uh, organizing distribution for organizing print so um, uh, it's not only um, uh, us anymore and so we can focus on developing the website and adding more tutorials and showcasing cool versions um, yeah, as, as for help, what we really still need are some donations for printing costs and um, uh, let's say people who um, uh, get in touch with the local refugee help groups at their location and um, uh, take the printing and distribution in their hands. So like we provide the data and we provide the um, printable versions and soon also like the apps, but uh, what is still needed is people who really give for feedback and also um, make a make it a project, make it their own project uh, to um, uh, get in contact with their own refugee help, with their own refugee camp, and see what they need and get it printed, and we'll have the funding. And somewhere in all this comes a reminder of how much of the world communicates, whether it is a good tool or not. I'm talking about the prominent role of Facebook for the newcomers. I was I was quite surprised by how um, let's say how pragmatic the most helpers deal with these digital tools. So um, the communication with the translators themselves uh, very often happens by email, by phone, uh, 
and mostly by Facebook. I'm not such a big fan of Facebook, but I uh, and uh, uh, we really tried to move it to I don't know an own forum or a different channel. But it turns out that uh, mostly um, like the the trans, especially the translators in the countries which are uh, very very need the translations most, so know, some African countries or whatever, they would rather have a Facebook account than um, uh, than feel comfortable dealing with emails and so on. So. Uh, uh, in this whole, um, uh, Facebook has reached a level of being being normal in this community, um, which which is uh, I mean it's like a intermediate solution. I hope uh, in an ideal world everyone would have his his blog and his podcast maybe and connect via the comment section and other things at and and uh, uh, with with other channels. I mean we also have a, like a Twitter channel. But um, and currently we organize um, most support requests in a dedicated Facebook uh, support group uh, that is linked on the website. Um, so this is like for the discussion of the main channels. The developers they move to uh, IRC to an IRC channel or they uh, would would use GitHub. But this is a completely different uh, conversation. By now, we've covered the tools and projects related to education, language, and now we can come full circle to what Khaled told us at the beginning of today's program. Winter is coming. People need homes. Hi, I'm Yolanda from Homes for Refugees. Home for Refugees with a four in the middle. There are a lot of refugees that are looking for apartments. Um, the state would even fund their apartments, would even pay rent for them while we also have a lot of Germans that would like to host refugees. But at the moment, um, you only can connect through two refugees or the other side, the refugees can only connect to the Germans through initiatives that make personal introductions. But that's not really effective because you can only like um, introduce a limited number of people that way. So we need a system that is more scalable, yeah. that makes it easier for the people to get in, contact, uh, in touch with each other. So we have an online platform for both sides where they can put their profile online or what they're looking for or what they offer and the other side can always filter the profiles from the other side to find exactly the person that matches what you're looking for. Kind of like Airbnb while our system is puts also a big emphasis on the refugees presenting themselves so that also Germans can look on their profiles which person would fit to me. Usually the refugees arrive in the like I would say emergency shelters and then they will transfer to refugee homes where they stay a bit longer but um, if they accept it here as refugees or if they have a certain status they will be told usually to find an apartment on the open market but usually there they get huge disadvantages compared to the usually society or the usual German to find an apartment simply because yeah, well a lot of people don't like to rent their rooms out to apartments. That's, that's, but there are people who like to do that, but these people, they cannot find each other at the moment because there's no effective system that matches these both positions. The goal is clear. An effective system that quickly and automatically matches or connects local people offering homes and newcomers looking for homes. 
Over the past few months, the international press will occasionally feature what seem like initiatives for housing, often referring to them as Airbnb for refugees, as nowadays many people understand what kind of system you're talking about if you say the words Airbnb. The project Yolanda is involved with goes right to the heart of the matter, that most pressing need that Khaled warned us about. But even as the service is being tweaked and finalized, as I sat there at the hackathon in Berlin, I thought about how the media moves from stories so quickly, how many people have been inspired to volunteer over the past few months, and I wondered about what it takes to sustain these efforts long after the mainstream has moved away, as they always do. I would say we should definitely make for the beginning a big crowdfunding uh, crowdfunding campaign first to get the financing, to keep it up for the next hopefully two, three years or find a long-term sponsor. But um, the main target of the crowdfunding is my eyes as well to get the first users driver to the platform by using the, um, how should you say, the attention of the media we would get at that point. Mm-hmm. Because it's also a critical step for such a platform that you have a lot of users that start registering at the same time, not um building it up slowly slowly because if we have a few few people who offer an apartment in berlin and some looking for an apartment in munich um, we cannot match them even though we have 100 people and if they're in different places it doesn't work so we really need to push that with all our energy in the market as soon as we have a lot of people who register on both sides and we make the first matching and it's successful a lot more will register and it will be a success model so the critical step is to get started that's a critical step but if we have already a lot of from both sides offers and search from the refugees um, I think it will be quite easy to, to keep it up for the long run and to also find a sponsor who can see the impact because it's a huge impact and our state Germany and the whole Europe I would say spends a lot of money to try to accommodate refugees but if it can be solved by Private people accommodating people um, would be the best solution also for the integration of the people. The community of volunteers that has emerged in Berlin and well beyond is a vast and inspiring network where each person makes use of whatever skills they have in an effort to make the journey of hundreds of thousands of people safer and that their arrival goes smoothly, that they can get busy building their new lives in these new, different environments. Listening to the kinds of projects we've heard from today, there's plenty to be hopeful and even a bit proud about the powerful commitment of determined individuals on all levels of this issue. On the other hand, it is not all cheers and high fives behind the scenes. We've heard the warnings, the wasted efforts as a result of not communicating and sharing information about simple things like asking, what tool are you building? Who else is working on such things? Perhaps we should collaborate instead of building two or three versions of the same thing. There is also the obstacle of institutions that are slow, if not resistant to change, to recognize credits from a foreign university or expedite the registration paperwork for people who day after day are sitting around confined to camps and shelters, waiting and wondering about their status. Is there a desire for more volunteers and more ideas? Yes. But that these efforts must be coordinated and well thought out That demand is also loud and clear from the voices we hear 
leading some of the most important projects that address the critical needs of newcomers. There's a lot to talk about, much to be proud of, but still a long road ahead. And that does it for today's program. I'd like to thank all my guests, as well as contacts who pointed me in the right directions and introduced me to initiatives over the past weeks. Links to all the projects mentioned will be up on our website, sourcecode.berlin. You can also talk to us. Tell us what you're thinking via Facebook or Twitter at SRCCodeBerlin. We had music this week by Ye Ye, Big Mean Sound Machine, and Lee Rosevere, published under a CCBYSA license and available on the free music archive source code berlin is a wikimedia deutschland podcast published under a ccbysa 4.0 license and edited by me you can catch me giving a talk at OpenFest in sofia bulgaria november 7th and 8th this weekend and until next time i'm mark fonseca renderu thanks for listening We are.